An Instagram post gets an unexpected boost. A TikTok catches in the algorithm. Sometimes that's all it takes to launch someone into internet fame. But then what? This Blew Up is a new podcast documentary that reveals how social media stardom is made. It's a different kind of fame that's not always as glamorous as it looks. From Spotify and the Ringer Podcast Network, I'm Alyssa Bereznak. You can listen to This Blew Up on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's Feud, Capote versus the Swans. The second installment in Ryan Murphy's Feud anthology tells the story of acclaimed writer Truman Capote, once a confidant to society's most elite women, whom he nicknamed the Swans. Starring Naomi Watts, Diane Lane, Chloe Sevigny, Calista Flockhart, Demi Moore, Molly Ringwald, and Tom Hollander. For your Emmy consideration, visit fxnetworks.com slash FYC. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. It is Tuesday, January 3rd. Happy New Year. This holiday season was a feast or famine situation at the box office. It was pretty much Avatar and then everything else. And that's actually a little unusual. Traditionally, the Christmas corridor is the most lucrative two weeks of the year for Hollywood. With room for multiple hits, different kinds of movies, and especially movies for grown-ups. The so-called adult drama is that platform they releases, starting small, adding theaters each week, or the awards movies that are vying for Oscars. But this year, one after another, critically acclaimed movies like The Fablemans from Spielberg or Banshees of Inisherin with Colin Farrell, She Said, The Harvey Weinstein Movie, Women Talking, Bones and All, The Cannibal Romance with Timothy Chalamet, Tar, Armageddon Time, my favorite, Babylon from Damien Chazelle. They all tanked, or they are tanking. They haven't really had the final word on some of these. It's becoming clear that the adult audience, the target audience for movies like these, just isn't coming back to theaters in the same numbers, and it's unclear when or if they will ever return. Is this audience permanently gone? Are they accustomed to streaming now, turned off from the theatrical experience? Or are movies just not appealing enough? The adults will show up for something like Elvis that speaks to them, or even something like Top Gun Maverick, which drew all kinds of audiences. It's the job of today's guest to answer that question. He's Kevin Getz, and he's the founder and CEO of a company called Screen Engine ASI, which is a movie research firm. He does test screenings to figure out what audiences think of movies, which stars to cast, how to make comedies funnier, everything that can be helped by the data. It's essentially his job to figure out the why behind the choices people make in choosing to watch entertainment. He's also the author of a book, Audienceology. He's got a podcast called Don't Kill the Messenger. And he's got a good perspective on the ongoing movie-going crisis. And I do believe it's a crisis. From The Ringer and Puck, I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. Okay, we are here with Kevin Getz. He is the founder and CEO of a company called Screen Engine ASI, the movie research firm. Welcome, Kevin. Thank you so much, Matt. So good to be here. Happy New Year. So I have many, many questions for you. And I want to start with the kind of raw stats here that in the aggregate, are pretty depressing. The box office for 2022, despite some big hits like Avatar and Top Gun, is down about 35% from the 2019 level pre-pandemic. 
And very specifically, there are genres of movies that once worked in theaters that are pretty clearly not working anymore. Specifically, the adult drama. That audience, with exceptions, seems to have gone away. And the holiday season was brutal for some of these movies. From Thanksgiving to Christmas and New Year's, typically you'll see some hits emerge and the platform release will do well. But from Fablemans to She Said to... Uh, you know, Babylon to all of these movies, one after another, fail. So, what is the data telling you about how audiences are perceiving these movies? Well, first of all, I don't view the characterization as uh, what did you say, depressing or or <laughs> you view it as a challenge? I bet. Well, no, I I view it as just just the way of the world and the way of, of consumers and the shifts that have been going on, there was a confluence of things that happened over the last five years, even pre-pandemic, where price, convenience, and choice, those three very important things aligned. We've had different ones throughout. Like, for example, we've had disruptions in uh, home entertainment. We've had, you know, even home box office uh, HBO coming. Yeah, the rise of DVDs. I mean, all of these other disruptions to the system. But right. why is this one different? What was happening, what we were seeing pre-pandemic is that Gen Zs in particular were losing tremendous amount of interest in going to see a movie theater. And that sort of video games were taking much more uh, of a place. Also half of millennials. I contend that people are never coming back to the theater's in the ways in which they did prior to the pandemic. You cited the millennial and Gen Z audiences as having turned away, but these pictures we're talking about over the holiday season, typically that's an adult audience. And when I say adult, I mean, let's say over 40, that supports this ecosystem of the awards movies, the Oscar movies, the movies that appeal to an adult audience that is out on a Friday night or going on a Saturday afternoon, those people are not showing up. So what are the surveys telling you about those people? Are they just still hesitant post-pandemic? When you look at the numbers, the older audiences are still supporting the TARS, the Fablemans, the Whale, those are who's going. But Fablemans is a Steven Spielberg movie at 12 million gross after a month and a half in theaters. Uh, oh, That's oh, not good. To, you don't have to remind me. What I'm, say, <laughs> what I'm saying to you, though, is this. The older audience, it's not just Zs and, and, and half millennials are the overall long-term issue, the generational issue that's falling off. Right. But everyone from the pandemic, as I said, accelerated the inevitable. So people are realizing how expensive it is to go to see a movie. Is anything enhanced by you going to see Tar in a movie theater? But I, so what are you, are you advising studios to just give up to only release the tent poles and to direct everything else to streaming? There has to be some model. Essentially, yes. I am, I am advocating event status on every studio released movie. That doesn't mean that you can't have an elevated horror movie. It doesn't mean that you can't have something star-driven for a particular age like the Julie Roberts and, and Clooney. Ticket movie. to Paradise. Ticket to Paradise. But that's a very dramatic 
piece of advice because there are companies in this business that exist to serve those movies to theaters. What is a searchlight do focus i believe it's a very very fractured 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 model so the platform release gone most platform releases gone most what about variable pricing what if the price to see tar was half or a third i think that is a definite possibility to drive we know that when we had that experiment last year where all theaters were like three dollars or something mm-hmm. that we had a pretty large number of folks show up People, let me just be really clear about something. People like going to the movies, but they don't have to go to the movies. Couple that with the fact that most people aren't even aware of many of these movies because they're not even watching television anymore, which is has always been the primary awareness factor of driving a wide release. In only four weeks, we had this ability to educate and persuade a new brand being introduced into the world, right? You don't have that anymore because so many people aren't watching television. So the studios that are still doing this, I feel like it's become this lottery or a better analogy might be you're at, they're at a carnival and they're doing that game where you're tossing the ping pong balls at the little receptacles that are cups are floating around and you're hoping, praying that one of the ping pong balls bounces around and for reasons that you have no idea ends up in the cup. And the cup is everything everywhere all at once. The cup is Elvis. The cup are these movies that are not pre-branded blockbuster style IP driven films, but because there is this chance out there To get one of those movies, these studios are still lining up their balls to shoot at the cups, and most of them are not falling. But let's take an example like Oppenheimer. I saw the trailer for it last Mm -hmm. night. To me, that felt very theatrical. It's a Sure, it's Chris Nolan. But okay, but explain everything everywhere. Explain that. (sighs) For every everything everywhere all at once, there are 200 that don't. So to live on an exception like Ticket to Paradise, by and large, I would not personally go near a romantic comedy for theatrical if I were a major studio. I think it's way too risky. Who would you cast where the chemistry is everything in a romantic comedy? And I'll, to be honest with you, some of the, the, the streamers have done them very well. And so is that something that you have to leave your home to go see other than filling time? Well, Paramount did it with the Sandra Bullock, Channing Tatum movie. I would call that not a romantic comedy. Yeah, they put some jungle stuff and Brad Pitt in it and it felt bigger. What are you seeing on family films animated? Because we've had some really bad data from 2022 that suggests that the family audience is not coming back in the same way. And only one animated film of the year, Minions, Minions, was a big success. I mean, Sonic did well, but that's more of a sequel. I think if you are launching new IP, you've got a problem. Uh, I think right now in the animation space, uh, unless you have something that is recognizable, that you know, if I'm going to spend the money, I'm going to have a damn good time. Those are the things that I think can still make it. If you are a new animation company launching a new theatrical one-off, I think it's almost 
no audience for that or very So do you just put him on streaming? I mean, a lot of people believe that because Disney directed their animated movies to streaming for two years, that the audience somehow was trained to expect that. And now that those movies are premiering in theaters first, they're not showing up in the same numbers as they once did. I'm not, I'm not, I believe that that's true, but I also think that if one of these movies was really well done and really well reviewed, they would show up. And I also think that the marketing associated with a theatrical release is what ultimately ends up powering the demand on streaming because you have something like Encanto, which did not do pretty well, did not do that well in theaters, but people associated it as a Disney musical that was in theaters. So when it premiered on Disney Plus, it was an event. Well, we learned recently with the new Disney release that that name alone is not going to guarantee it. It's a it's an alchemy. It was Strange World, which flopped. Yeah, Strange World. But I'm saying it, it was an it's an, it is an alchemy of familiarity, and the single most important thing that drove theatrical movie going was an elevated sense of fun. And I don't mean fun like haha. I'm saying an elevated sense where it's like, yes, oh my Lord, I've got to see that. So you got to hit all those boxes. So I actually think the studios are doing it pretty well. I think they've really finally understand this. And I can tell you that a Tom Rothman, for example, uh, because I have done and do a lot of Sony work, that team of Tom Rothman and Josh Greenstein and Sanford Panich, uh, they all get what I'm saying and all the other leaders at Sony. They get it because of Tom's leadership. They understand that they're challenged. This is How is this theatrical? How is this theatrical? And I bring them up because they don't have a streaming service to fall back on. Yes, they've sold their sold stuff to Netflix, yeah. et cetera. But that is their that is their jam. That's what they have to do. And they intrinsically get it uh, that this is not going to be some event enough to make people leave their homes. This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Accenture overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Want to be more active this summer? Sierra helps you save on everything from swimsuits to stand-up paddle boards, tennis rackets to fishing tackle. And if that doesn't float your boat, we also have pool floats. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! So let's talk about stars, because you do a little research on actors and how they influence audience demand for pictures and what people want out of stars and star-driven vehicles. I mean, obviously, we've talked about it a lot on this show, and I've written about this in my Puck newsletter. You could make a case that the number of stars that actually move the needle or matter anymore, I can count on one hand. Now, we saw a great case of the right star and the right material this past year with Top Gun. We've seen a couple of examples, like you mentioned, where somebody like uh, George Clooney and Julia Roberts paired together in the right material can deliver a number. Sandra Bullock seems to still matter. But 
doesn't seem like a lot of these stars matter that much. And then when you get down to the under 30 crowd, I'd argue that almost nobody matters, certainly not on their own when they're not paired with the right material like Tom Holland in Spider-Man or, you know, Zendaya doing uh, Dune or something like that. Well, the data says they don't not matter. They matter, but they matter less in terms of the principal drive to motivate the audience to leave their homes because you're seeing stars work in multiple platforms. Mm -hmm. It's not like I can only see them if I go to, you know, if I, well, I can, Tom Cruise, Leo, they don't do television. Well, those are two of the bigger ones. Although Leo was in a Netflix movie. He's got an Apple movie this year, but even, you know, Stallone's doing something now and, mm -hmm. The nostalgia that we have with stars, the relationship we have with stars, those of us who are over the, say, say the age of 50, is very different than people under the age of 50. So it matters to the young audience that Timothy Chalamet and Zendaya are in Dune, but it doesn't get them off the couch to go see Bones and All. And it doesn't even get them off the couch for Dune necessarily. I, don't, I would contend that if you had another actor in Dune, I don't think it would have made... 10 cents less. And that's no disparity. Really? Mr. Chalamet. Yeah, I don't think so. I think that if Tom Cruise weren't in Top Gun, it would have dramatically. Affected. Sure. Of course. Yeah. So you do a lot of test screenings and I've always been fascinated oh, yeah. by this process. Maybe we'll have you back again to talk specifically about the test screening process. Give us an example of a movie that you did the test screenings for that you markedly improved that the filmmaker took the advice of the audience and change something? What did they change and how did it make the film better or more appealing? Honestly, every movie that we test probably uh, almost three quarters of, or two thirds of every movie released out of, out of Hollywood and 90% mm -hmm. of them have changes that are for the positive uh, that audiences will identify and say, you know, uh, whether um, Halloween reshoots and ending because they weren't getting a complete enough satisfaction with, mm -hmm. you know, Jamie Lee Curtis's character who they were in love with and wanted a more badass ending. That was not in the, the first one I'm talking about. Yep. Things like that happens all the time. Comedies. I imagine you get a lot of feedback and we do where there's, there's, there, there's something that's laying flat at the end of the comedy. And we'll say the audience is dying. They're, they're begging for their, their, needing another joke because you want to leave people on that high and you could see scores uh that really do get affected by some of these changes uh fatal attraction in the day was of course a major example sure. yep. of an ending that changed and was uh massively uh successful as a result of that and but for the fact that it did do that it would not have made the money it it made because there is a correlation between our definite recommend scores and the multiple that the movie will make in the theater. Sure. Everyone always says this movie tested through the roof. Most of the time it's bullshit. What is the best testing movie you have ever tested? I remember the movie wonder just comes to mind. Uh, Julia Roberts was the mom. Oh yeah. Wonder. Uh, I remember getting a hundred percent in two of the top uh, two quadrants. Um, it's funny though with Wonder though. Yeah, it did well. It did three hundred million worldwide. 
That's surprising to me. We're not trying to torture filmmakers, but we are trying earnestly and desperately often to get them to make changes that are going to drive like a difference of a 10 point spread in a definite recommend could mean an extra 10, 20 million dollars in box office. A lot of filmmakers don't get out of their own way. And to really the best ones, the Ron Howards of the world, for example, uh, who really pay attention to the process, who really engage with the audience when it's time to do that, are, I believe, more successful because of their willingness uh, to listen to what people are saying. So what is a movie that tested poorly and then did amazingly at the box office? Well, I remember just this one that's in my book, you know, War of the Roses was an example of- Oh, uh, Michael Douglas, Kathleen Turner, Danny DeVito. Yeah, uh, there are movies like that on the one hand, that are mixed genre movies. And mixed genre movies uh, will often not test that well because you can't put them in a box. So that's one movie that was a black comedy that uh, people just weren't sort of getting. And despite that, it went on to do much better than anyone thought it would do. I remember like Manchester by the Sea uh, not testing particularly well. Well, it's a downer, huge downer. And yet it had unanimous great reviews. Leaving right. Las Vegas sure. had one of the worst testing scores. <laughs> and yet critics said it was a revelation to see Nicolas sure. Cage in this role and Elizabeth Shue. And the, and it was and that was back in the day when you could get an audience from the critics liking it and getting people in theaters. Not liking it, loving it. That turned the narrative because... There are movies that were um, some of the Searchlight movies. I remember we, we we did some of these where critics actually trained the audience to like something or they weren't cool. Sure. And that is really hard to do anymore. I do think it happened a little bit with everything everywhere all at once. And social media. It was a big online. Exactly. Yeah. And it brought in a more diverse group. It wasn't just older. It was sure. younger and older. And in specialized movies – the olders drive the, the the audience. And so, yeah, try, try, if you would, Matt, when you're doing these things, try to think of the, of, of not the exceptions, uh, the, ex, there's always going to be exceptions. So yeah. I don't want to get, you know, calls where people are saying, well, what about <laughs> this movie sure. in my company for years, we couldn't use examples of paranormal activity, bear Blair, Witch project, even straight out of Compton, there were certain movies that I remember saying, guys, there's, I can't explain why, but they right. just had captured something. They were the right place. Get Out. Get Out did not test hugely. It didn't test badly, but it was not a huge hit yeah. from the tech. People didn't know what to make of it. It wasn't until the genius marketing campaign that really began to show us what this potential of this movie was. It had to be discovered. That movie had to be discovered. It's very hard to discover a movie these days. And that was only, what, six years ago or something? Well, that's what makes it fun, this business, is the mystery and the fact that nobody really knows till it comes out. All right, thank you, Kevin Getz. Thanks for coming on the show. Appreciate the time. Oh, Matt, it's my pleasure. And I look forward to returning and, uh, and wrapping with you again soon. Yeah, we'll have you back. Take care. All right, we are back with the call sheet. Craig, did you have a nice break? Yeah, it was nice. Had some time off, caught a cold, you know. 
the usual stuff. Nice. All the holidays. All the holiday fun. Yeah. Uh, did you watch any Apple TV Plus per chance? Not over the New Year's break, but I, I did watch Spirited back uh, over Thanksgiving. Yeah, I watched Spirited over the holidays. It's fine. It needed to be funnier, I think. But uh, Will Ferrell, not a, not a great singer, but okay. 20 minutes too long. Three too many Will Ferrell solos in an empty room. <laughs> yeah. Ryan Reynolds always funny, though. He can do that guy better than anyone. He really does. He's been cashing in on the Deadpool character for about a decade now. Yeah, I know. God, they made a fortune on that movie. Full freight. Everybody got paid on that movie, so good for them. Yeah, it's great. Uh, the, re the reason I mention it is because Apple made an interesting move today. They hired a head of marketing for the content in Rick Ricky Strauss. Uh, he was a veteran of Disney, and he was actually involved in the launch of Disney Plus when he was there. And I think my prediction is that is a great move and that Apple is going to really kickstart its marketing for its shows and movies because, well, they have had a marketing communications team. They have a VP, Tor Mirren, there that, that you know, they have marketed stuff, but not nearly as much as they should be marketing this stuff because they are spending a fortune on shows and movies. And they need to let people know this is one of the world's greatest companies at marketing, and they haven't done a great job marketing their content to their users. Yeah, I mean, they actually quite, very well may be the greatest marketing company ever in existence. I mean, how often do you hear people talk about how all the other phones are better than iPhones, yet we all buy iPhones because their marketing is so good? Well, and they also, you mentioned the iPhone. They have, you know, I hate to quote Oprah here, but, you know, they're in a billion pockets, y'all. That's what she said when, when she did a deal with Apple. Like, they're literally in your pocket. They have a marketing device on your person at all times, basically, to tell you when this stuff is is on uh, the service. And, like, they need to be a bet. They need to be better about telling me, someone who watched the morning show, that something similar to the morning show has just dropped. And this gets to the better bigger question that is facing all the streamers is just discovery. I mean, there is so much stuff out there now and these services need to be better about letting both their customers and potential new customers know about that stuff because it's harder to reach people than ever. Yeah, I mean, young people who don't go to theaters and young people who don't have cable, I think it's really hard to get a movie in front of their eyes and actually have it resonate with them. I know a lot of people my age and who are younger than me who I was just talking to over the weekend who, you know, didn't even know that the movie Emancipation existed. They don't know anything about the movie Babylon. I think it's very difficult to market a movie to people these days who are pretty much just living on social media. And their streaming services. You know, that's the advantage that an outlet like Netflix has. They've got a platform with 230 million people worldwide where they can push out promos, emails, all this other stuff directly to people, not to mention the algorithm. But that's where I think Apple has a huge advantage here. So I think I'm glad to see they are getting serious about this stuff. Ricky Strauss is a good hire, and hopefully we'll see some better marketing for Apple. Soon we're going to start getting texts of movie trailers directly from Apple, which I actually don't mind. Yeah, I would like that. Or at least little Apple notifications like, hey, you know, Reese Witherspoon is in a new show. You liked her previous one. Or, you know, Leo DiCaprio made a you know $200 million Martin Scorsese movie that's on Apple TV+. Plus. Maybe you would be interested in checking this out. It needs to be accessible. I would love it if there was some number that texted me whenever a new movie trailer came out and I could just watch it. That sounds great. Yeah, be careful what you wish for. You're going to get spammed up the ass here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's the show for today. I want to thank my guest. Kevin Getz. I want to thank producer Craig Holbeck. And I want to thank you. We'll see you later this week. 